0: Welcome to Something Positive for Positive People, I'm Courtney Brain. Something Positive for Positive People is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that serves as a self-help resource for people who are navigating herpes stigma. This series of podcast episodes uh, is geared around stigma from a healthcare perspective. I mentioned that when I started these interviews, I didn't quite know what I was working towards or what was going to come of this. but what i'm finding is that there are many more elements of herpes stigma that go beyond herpes like i don't believe that it's exclusively applicable to herpes but it's more about sex like when someone has oral herpes it's not there's not any stigma associated with that it's like that's accepted as oh you just got that but the minute sex becomes attached to it that's where we run into issues. So what I'm hoping to do here is through more full understanding from the perspectives of those who are involved with stigma, even from a healthcare perspective, uh, just to kind of see what is happening there, what uh, we can do as far as utilizing the lived experiences of the previous guests that I've had on this podcast and utilizing those as a way of supporting existing STD prevention efforts. Alright, so our guest today is Chastity, and Chastity, I will let you go ahead and introduce yourself, and then, uh, yeah, we'll start the conversation.
1: Okay, so my name is Chastity, Um, I've been in pharmacy for 10 years next month, and in that time, I've attended uh, pharmacy school to get my doctorate pharmacy, so congratulations by the way thank you thank you thank you so i'm officially done with the didactic coursework portion and then this next year will bring a bunch of different rotations and more hands-on experience um lived experience so i'm really excited about that and um you know bringing in some of the thoughts from this conversation as i move forward with that i think are going to be really important too so um Between me working for 10 years and going to school for pharmacy, there's also been plenty of other experiences where I've, you know, stepped foot in other settings, whether it be hospitals, different pharmacies, doctor's offices, things like that. Some personal and some professional that are really applicable to this topic. So let's get into it.
0: All right, cool. So I guess my first question would be, um, having been in pharmacy for 10 years, have you... Because I'm picturing like people have talked about the way that they've received prescriptions, right? Have you experienced or seen any sort of uh, stigmatization from someone who is giving maybe a prescription for an STI infection, STI infection, for an STI to the person that's getting their uh, prescription filled? Or like even yeah. just among peers being like, oh, somebody got chlamydia and they putting the pills in the container.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, you find a, a wide range of attitudes about it over time. Um, and it may range from people being understanding that, you know, hey, this particular medication could be for a number of different things, including an STI. And, you know, they just kind of fill it and do their job and treat it you know just like any other prescription but then you do have some people who have not been trained or are not sensitive to the topic at all where you know they may make remarks you know just to other people who are a part of the prescription filling process that are unnecessary and even in counseling patients some people may avoid bringing it up just to make the patient more comfortable. But there may be some things that they really need to know about this particular medication. And then even just the interaction and checking out the patients, sometimes you may find that people are not sensitive at all. You know, this may be a new diagnosis for somebody. This may be a moment where they're trying to take things in and you need to be considerate of that. Whether it be, you know, not being very loud and yelling across the pharmacy waiting room, things like that, or just meeting them where they are, they may be very comfortable with it, and they want you to just treat them like it's a regular conversation. Just knowing how to read the room. Mm
0: -hmm. When you mentioned counseling about uh, when you when you mentioned counseling, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: real quick. Okay, I don't know why this happens, but this has happened a few times where like, I'll start talking and it'll be like a little bit of an echo. So if you can, I don't want you to have to play this like leapfrog game with the keyboard. But when I start talking mute, m- not mute me, but mute uh, yourself so it just doesn't like bounce back. If you okay. can remember, if you can't remember, I can work around it, but yeah, thank you. I appreciate it. I'm sorry for yeah. that little inconvenience. Um, But my question was uh, regarding the counseling. So I didn't know this until very recently that pharmacists can offer counseling. And uh, I guess you mentioning that during counseling there may be avoidance of certain information. Can you speak a little bit to what that counseling may look like and what kind of information would be avoided?
1: Sure. So there are plenty of different medications. um, And I would say I would call it basic counseling where, you know, take this with food or at a certain time of day. And that's pretty typical across the board with a lot of medications. But there may be medications where you need to have a conversation. You know, if you miss this dose or if this somehow affects your partner, those pieces of the conversation Are often missed the ones that don't necessarily relate to the biology of the medication but just the the human interaction piece you know you do need to tell your partner or you may need to use condoms until a particular point in your therapy that is the part that people tend to shy away from
0: and out of curiosity why do you think that is because when we talk about the communication component of like telling a partner or uh, just wearing condoms, like it seems like this should be as seamless as take your medication with food. Don't drink while you take this medication. It should be a fluid part of the conversation, but it's something that seems to be avoided. Do you have any insight to what that could be? Because all I'm thinking is, there's just discomfort of talking about sex.
1: So I think that that may be the main component, but a lot of times these conversations may force you to face certain pieces of communication that you yourself would not be comfortable with, whether it be addressing your own biases or trying to avoid allowing your bias to show even. Um, If you've not been trained to know why you believe what you believe, and if that's even true or not pertaining to the general public, you may shy away from it. So for example, let's say there's, um, I'm just trying to think of an example here. So let's say that there is a member of LGBT community um, who may go to a doctor's office and i think it's a natural question to ask um you know what is your orientation but just because someone states their orientation does not mean well here let me start you on some type of prophylactic medication if you're in a high risk population they may not even be sexually active at all and that's just an assumption that people may make or uh, if a woman is sexually active or not or You know, she may be sexually active with a same sex partner, so she may not need birth control just because she's sexually active. These are just kind of pitfalls that we have from our own implicit biases. And if you can't really address yourself, it's hard to be comfortable in those conversations with other people.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, Going back to the communication component, so... I've heard stories of things like people trying to share medications between themselves and their partners, like splitting it in half to avoid them having to go to the doctor or to, uh, make sure that they're both getting treated and, uh, people reinfecting themselves. And you spoke to like the communication and how important that is looking at this as Essentially, I never saw pharmacists as a touchpoint of STD stigma or STD prevention or stigma until now having think, thought to myself, okay, well, the healthcare providers might miss it, but the pharmacist, when speaking about how to take this medication, little bitty do's and don'ts with the medication, there's a place where communication, if done correctly, they can intercept what could turn into another case for uh, people testing positive. Because I think about it like I tested positive for chlamydia in 2021, and I was diagnosed with prostatitis, which is an inflammation of the prostate, and I was treated for prostatitis. And so I got the treatment, I went and picked up the medication for it, and went on about my merry way and had sex with my partner and lo and behold, two days later, I get a call back, hey, all right, so your chlamydia test results came back positive. And no one told me, hey, you know, you might have chlamydia, don't don't have sex right now, Uh, get your partner tested and treated. No one said anything like that to me and I'm like, I look back and I'm very resentful of that experience. However, it also could have been you know, for the pharmacist, something that they could have said was, "Oh, you have prostatitis, and we're only prescribing you uh, something for the inflamed prostate." Did you know that this could be caused by chlamydia or by gonorrhea? Uh, because it took for me to do my own research to find out that prostatitis was caused by chlamydia, and the healthcare provider probably could have told me that, but it's like a secondary, um, a secondary place to have learned about that, could have been the pharmacist as well who prescribed me the information. So I'm wondering where communication, if if communication is even a piece here or if that's just something that the pharmacist isn't even expected to do or if that's something that's outside of their job description. What are your thoughts on that?
1: So it really depends on the setting. A lot of times, inpatient and a hospital pharmacist may be able to see a patient's full chart and make those connections where a lot of times if you're going to a community pharmacy you know just on the corner of your neighborhood all they have is your current prescription and maybe a history of what you've filled with them over the last couple of years they have no idea, you know, what your labs may be unless it's a particular medication, which are few and far in between, where they may have to call and verify certain pieces of information be sent over for that medication. So depending on where you go, the pharmacy pharmacist either may not know, or a lot of times the issue with healthcare is that it's a business where You have 10 minutes or 15 minutes with a patient and you have to kind of hit the highlights and leave the rest as future conversations that may need to be had. Now, in this case, I think that's pretty important. So I can't speak to what a particular pharmacist may have, why they may have chosen not to disclose that type of information. Um, I definitely think it's necessary. But there could be a number of reasons for it. And I think the system is just kind of set up to fail in these situations. And they, there needs to be change had. But I will say that change is slowly coming. Um, as far as the communication piece, the accountability piece, all of that, um, there's a lot of work to still be done. But at least now it's being recognized and light is being shined on it
0: yeah thank you for that uh so speaking to healthcare as a business there is a uh there's I, and I, you can feel free to not talk about this if you don't want to but there's like a belief that herpes itself is not cured because it's more profitable to treat than it is secure and um Like, the pharmaceutical companies realized they messed up with curing gonorrhea and chlamydia and missed out on a lot of potential money by just making it a treatment. And since herpes doesn't have any, like, long-term birth defects or influences on, like, the birth of a newborn, then it's easier to just treat it, even if the treatment is shitty. Like, if it's just like, all right, well, take this medication and maybe outbreaks will... uh, It'll reduce outbreaks and it'll reduce transmission, but it's not going to be as effective as it can be. And I'm, I'm curious to know if you have any insight or thoughts on that at all.
1: So my first argument to that would be, let's talk about the curable STIs. Let's say you get cured of it six months later, you can still recontract that same thing. So... That would kind of be my argument as far as whether it's more profitable or not. Um, That's an argument that I often hear is that there's money in sick people and somebody somewhere out there may feel that way and may be, you know, feeling greedy enough to profit off of people in that way. But I can honestly say a lot of the people, even the ones who may be ignorant to certain sensitivities um, where they need to be more sensitive in conversations, even those people, a lot of people, I would at least like to believe, really do set out to do good, you know, within the community. They really do start off wanting to help people. That's one of the most common things I hear when people are trying to figure out what is their path and their purpose and and how that plays into them getting into a career, um, you do find people who get burnt out because it is a lot. And then you deal with the public and attitudes and pushback, especially when you have to have a sensitive conversation with people. So I think that's just a wide spectrum of what people's personal purposes are. But I would like to
0: generally believe that people mean well. Yeah. Thank you for speaking to that for me. Because uh, it's something that it comes up in private conversations. And it was something that uh, this podcast I was on, this podcast Will Kill You. Uh, they did like some investigative research and like they only presented the information, but subjectively, if you are reading that or you listen to it, you're like, oh, this is a conspiracy of the pharmaceutical company. So um, I'm glad that you were able to point out like, yeah, you can get cured, but you still can get it again. And that more so speaks to some aspect of accountability to the individuals. And I believe that The accountability piece or responsibility piece, and I'm using air quotes when I say that because you know things just happen. Uh, Communication can help minimize, but it won't prevent the possibility of new infections. So, speaking about like the treatment component, the um, STI management, uh, STI management. Like managing medication, treating, hold on, hold on, hold on. I'm gonna have to edit this part. I don't, I am, I was trying to get through this without having to edit it. I guess like where I'm trying to go next with this is I want to understand like how would a patient be able to utilize, and I, I guess this doesn't have to stay pharmacy specific does it because you mentioned you had some personal experiences that you were open to sharing is that is that still a thing yes oh okay well let's go there because I think I was trying to avoid doing that all together so we can okay. we can go there like let's talk about these personal oh. experiences
1: well go ahead go ahead
0: no that was it I want you to talk about your personal experiences like what did you have that you wanted to touch on
1: so my personal experience is not necessarily with STIs but mental health because that comes with a huge stigma as well. Um, A lot of times people don't realize the power that they have um, in the healthcare field when someone is coming in to see them. You know, I've been in a situation where I've had an amazing doctor, and, you know, I trust them. The communication is completely open. But there is a front receptionist who is always just, saying things that just make me uncomfortable. And for that reason, I've quit a doctor Um, just because it makes you feel unheard and unseen for who you really are. And that can make it hard for you to trust, um, you know, the treatment and that they really do see and understand what you're there for.
0: Yeah, I've heard about this before where, you, when we talk about having trauma-informed care, it's not exclusively on the healthcare provider, but it's their environment, right? So like you exactly. said, you had an amazing doctor, but you had to quit them because the front desk receptionist was whatever they are. And I want—I wonder, like, what did this front desk person do or say? Like, what were some of the things that weren't like, oh, you in here again? No type stuff like that or what?
1: So a lot of times... um well, number one, she was just unprofessional, uh, just as a whole, like outside of her statements with me, but um, you know, just saying things like, "Oh, it's gonna be all right. You don't really need this medication. Like you hang in there, and you, and even as a Christian, um, I found issue with her telling me to just pray on it and not deal with the medication piece that I was needing, and there's a lot of of issue with people thinking that medication makes them weak or seeking out certain types of care make them weak and i personally just don't want to support a system that may be putting that message out um luckily for me you know i'm kind of educated on the topic so i know that that's not truly the case but if you're going in for medica- medication for help with something and there's somebody telling you that you're stronger than this, you don't need the medication, like that's ridiculous. That will affect somebody somewhere.
0: Well, it has. I interviewed the wife of the widow of someone who um, he was a man and he had HIV. And he journaled about it and he talked to his pastor about it. And his pastor told him, pray it away, don't take the medication. Just, God got you. And this man went on to live pretty healthily for years. His wife didn't even know he had HIV until he was in the hospital after he had gotten bitten by a spider. He was bit by a spider and it was just like a bruise on his leg that just kept getting worse, kept getting worse, kept getting worse. So he's in a coma and it eventually comes out that he has HIV and the wife is like, wow, I didn't know he had HIV and then she goes through his journals and that's when she found out he talked to his pastor and his pastor told him hey just pray this away. god got you don't worry about it and this man died on his faith like granted he lived longer um uh, than he lived for a while you know after having found out but he's literally just dismissed the idea of getting any treatment because of his faith you know and and I don't want to talk down about anybody for having their faith and like, yeah, that's a testament of strength, but at the same time, you know, like if your kid is getting gnawed on by a dog, are you going to have faith that the dog's going to stop, right? Or are you going to intervene and get the dog off your kid, right? It's the exact same thing, only the dog is like completely shrunk down to something small and now you can you can do something about it. So, like, there's just this fine line between what your faith is and then, like, utilizing practical solutions for what an issue is.
1: Exactly. I
0: completely, I couldn't have said it better myself. Well, I, I, I didn't. I, I stole that. I stole that from uh, all <laughs> of these books I read. And I think it was Psycho-Cybernetics by Dr. Maxwell Maltz. He had that analogy in there. Mm-hmm. So,
1: I mean, faith. Based like there's faith-based healing as well, where, you know, like I say, the the communication piece and just the being a good human to people when they're going through something that really does have an effect on health outcomes. So you know, if you want to bring in a, a shared faith between you and a particular person, great, I'm all for it. But, you know, there's other solutions too. That, you know, are still practical and logical and shouldn't be talked down upon, especially when you're talking about something that, you know, is spreading through the community and affecting multiple people. And like you said, it's not always based on somebody making a good or bad decision or having good or bad communication. Sometimes it just happens that way.
0: Yeah. Did you tell your doctor about the experience you had with this woman or did you just stop going? I just stopped going. Man, and I, I know, I know that has to happen so often where people are just like, I didn't like this thing that happened, so I'm just not going back. Like, I use my barber, for example. He fucked my head up. He like... <laughs> messed up he only did he did one side of my face one way the other side another way and I got home and I had to fix it and I thought about it I was like man I'm gonna just let this go I'm not going back but I thought that so many times before that it just got to this point where it was that bad so I took a picture I was like yo man I was like hey my man I sent him a video he's like how oh how can I help you sir and I was like this motherfucker didn't even like read the text or maybe he saw didn't watch the video but I was like, okay, that's it. Like I'm I'm done. Like I tried to let him know, like, hey, this is what happened. And I, I just let it go. Cause I didn't even want to try and come in and, and fix it. I was like, you know what? It's a cheap haircut. I really shouldn't complain. Like you get what you pay for. I looked at I looked at those things and I was just like, I'm not going back to him. Like that's just gonna be that. But how often do we just have experiences where the people who have harmed us are not aware of their harming and therefore enabled and then like where's the line between it really being our responsibility at all versus the people who are in that environment being aware enough to say hey so this person ain't coming back and that doesn't make sense like what kind of interactions have you had like there's that it's like a self-reflection piece that needs to happen or an evaluation of some sort for people to understand, like, hey, this is what's going on in my facility.
1: I'm so happy to speak to this because I've been in the same community pharmacy for all 10 years since I've started. Uh, Worked at the same location, all of that. So, you know, I've built personal relationships with uh, long-term patients over the years, and it really is a matter... Of leadership expectations I find you know we'll be doing great with one leader and then it may change and that changes the the culture within the pharmacy and people take certain freedoms that they wouldn't have normally taken with anyone else it really does come down to you know what the what the rules and regulations are and that affects the way that people interact with patients so I've had patients who have been there for 8 9 years and all of a sudden you know I had to go because I had this experience and I totally get it because I would have done the same thing and you know they'll come back every now and then to see if that person is gone or what may have changed and sometimes they stay and sometimes they go so yeah there is definitely power in in those interactions and I do I do think there needs to be not only more accountability and eyes on how people are interacting with patients, but there needs to be training from the get-go. You know, we get trained on how to use computer systems and what the laws are and what will get us fired if we, you know, do this the wrong way, do that the wrong way. But who's, who's teaching people what's appropriate and what's not? People just assume that everybody knows. And that's not always the case, especially when you have somebody coming right out of high school getting a first job
0: and you know, this is heavy. Yeah, and um, you spoke to the training and I think that there's a lot of trauma-informed and uh, trainings that are being positioned out there on how your setting looks, maybe words to use and not to use, but the training is one thing, like to tell someone how to do something, but then like, I think there's so much more value in the practice of it. So being able to have patients come in, have the experience and then give real time feedback. Because for you, had you been a patient, a practice patient, for instance, come in and you have your experience and then you leave and you fill out like your own self-reflective evaluation form and then uh, an organization or something can come back to that facility and go, hey, so a patient had this experience and they stopped coming. Did you notice that they stopped coming? Like, oh yeah, like I, she was a great patient. Like, I haven't seen her in now that I think about it, two years. What happened? Well, your front desk person is scaring people off. Like, maybe we should talk to them about this. And then, like, if you were the so just to give you an idea of where I'm headed with this is like what I want to do with something positive for positive people is essentially offer uh, practice for healthcare providers to take sexual histories get comfortable talking to people of various identities talking about sex and talking about their sex lives as well as relationships and getting comfortable with speaking about uh, STIs and sexual health in general and if this case is happening right where this scenarios is happening and the front desk person puts this person in a particular state of mind to where the doctor can't do their job like they would not be aware of that until like you said you just stop coming so this is something that I'm also now able to put into my notes here about It's not just the provider. It's not just the one-on-one interaction with the healthcare provider because there's so much that you all already got to do. You got to know everything. Uh, You got to be able to go down the right path for a diagnosis. You got to diagnose. You got to treat. You also have to uh, maintain the space for a person to share information. You got to interview people. And not only that, but you also have to... Navigated in a very strategic way to not offend or upset that particular patient and that is a lot to ask of y'all so to give the support of your staff your environment the way the room set up the way the forms look I know that these are all individual pieces that involve trauma informed care. But i do believe that so much of this is just in the comfort of communicating and having the practice of communicating because you can get trained in computers you can get trained in this program if this happens then do this but For the communication that takes more practice because you're going to deal with so many different people with so many different personalities and so many different points of the day they may be hungry they may be sleepy they may be uh too excited right so to be able to have like a baseline for communication not just about what they may want to talk about but to also uh, be able to bring out things that they may not wanna talk about. I think that this is something that really will not only aid STD prevention efforts, but also um, aid like retention for people uh, and getting them more and more comfortable with taking charge of their health and being able to responsibly present their health in their relationships and get their relationships to talk about their health. So it's a really, impactful cycle here that I'm seeing that comes from the communication component component because communication here appears to be so key in what we're talking about and you spoke on it beautifully mental health like that's where this all started this um, the while we may be going in for like physical treatment for something that mental health component is very influential as to how well we're able to get treated for our physical health
1: definitely i wholeheartedly agree with that um and i honestly like you say there's so many moving pieces that go into what a solution like for this could look like that i can't even sit here and give you one solid answer as to what needs to be done um but i will take the opportunity to speak to the fact that a lot of the programs that are graduating people now into these professions they're definitely taking that into account, um, within the education piece. Um, so, you know, in classes and in labs, we do actually practice on patients, um, and mock patients where they want us to have seen some of these complicated situations before we get out and practice and are just kind of blindsided. Like, what do I do? But even still in that, it being a mock patient versus you really are out there it's hard it's hard and you know some people just have better skills than others and i don't know what what to say to that honestly
0: yeah um i mean practice makes perfect but you know the real-time feedback I think uh like going back to the bias like you mentioned the front desk lady saying oh you know you're strong you don't need this medication like first off why are you in medicine you know telling somebody they don't need to take their medicine you know like it it just that doesn't seem to be a fit that's like a misalignment completely and that's like an outlier but i wonder just how common is that right to where someone is in a job role that doesn't quite align with their values and so there's so much about this is self-reflection, and I, I underline that here in my notes about self-reflection because you know that could have just been somebody who's a family member or a friend of somebody at the practice who just needed a job, got a job, and they there just for a job. And it, I'm sure that this just happens so often across the board. But uh, yeah, it, it's practicing the communication and receiving real-time feedback could be something that helps um there was was there more uh that you had that you wanted to speak to because like I'm I'm here for this like I'm very glad that you touched on the mental health component as well
1: um so I think that you know how you say there's a misalignment when somebody's already at the doctor's office or in my case you've been to the doctor's office you've Agreed and, and gone through treatment options and you and your doctor have chosen this one um, Who am I to undo all of that work that is put in for your health if it's not You know if I see something that's wrong with the treatment that could affect your health by all means I'll speak up but you know there are stages of Pre-contemplation where people are not willing to address certain things and then they may start thinking about it and then start actually taking steps to take care of their health and things like that. So it's jarring to put yourself out there and get all the way through this healthcare process, you know, just to have somebody at the end send you for a whirlwind. And I think people have to realize it's not just your interaction with the patient, there's an entire team of people that go into treating this patient that you all may never even know each other's names. And you you really do have to work as a team for each patient. Yeah. You know, talking to doctors that, you, that may work across town and things like that. Um, because if you lose that patient, if you lose their willingness to participate in their own health, especially on a topic like um, sex and STIs, They may just completely start making, you never know how they'll act. It could be them, you know, becoming irresponsible in sexual decisions. It could be them withdrawing from sex altogether, which a lot of people would argue we need to be complete and happy whole people, Um, just an area of wellness. There's a lot to be impacted by just one person failing
0: to do this well so like that uh the it can be a failure it can be a misalignment it can just be a mistake right and Uh all of these things contribute to a person's potential behavior change which is influenced by their mental health status you spoke to the team component and this is something that's come up in recent interviews as well that it's not just one person it's a team of people. That you need in order to best take care of your health. Like, there might be the doctor that you know, you come in and you're like, Hey, I'm having a problem with this part of my body. Oh, okay, well, let's talk about that. Based on what you're saying, I think that I need to refer you out to someone that I know and trust who you will be able to know and trust. And like, we need that and we need to understand too that that's what it is. Like, it's gonna be a team effort. We can't just go to one person and hope for. The solution to all of our issues is going to be resolved by visiting that one person i hear people talk about having to see multiple doctors and go here for this there for that but like i think that maybe that needs to be the expectation doctors healthcare professionals are held to such a high standard that when they are able when when they are human and they say hey i can't fix this here's someone who can I think that that puts people in a position to go, my God, I got to go through this again. I got to build rapport with somebody, I got to meet a new person, I got to tell them about my problems. And so being able to go in with the expectations because the next part that I wanted to talk about was just like how patients can be better patients, not just for the providers, but for themselves. And so understanding this team element of healthcare Knowing that there's someone gonna that can be for your physical health, someone if there's a surgery needed, someone for your gut health, a urologist, someone for your sexual health and in terms of pleasure or in terms of testing, right? And different therapists, someone for your uh, mental health. So there's all of these people, but it's like expected for the doctor to be the end all be all solution for whatever it is that we got going on. And that's just not realistic.
1: It's not, but um, think about that patient who may have a hard time disclosing things about themselves. They've worked up the courage to have this conversation with one doctor because they've had that rapport forever. And now you expect me to go sit in a new doctor's office with a new receptionist and a new team and just trust them. So I definitely think that what you're saying is the way to go. It needs to be. A standardized expectation, but I also get why that would be so hard on the patient. Which a lot of times we forget that the patient is a part of their healthcare team too.
0: Very good point.
1: Important part. Yeah. So, um, I don't know what we would do about bridging that, other than like you said, setting a particular expectation, or even using our charting and things like that to communicate ahead of time so that you know when they get there they can just review a chart instead of asking them these questions from scratch all over again a lot of the times
0: that makes sense yeah. so uh yeah i'm but then we run into like things i know there's hipaa and how much is communicated like do we want to consent to uh like a consultation with the referral like I I don't know there there are so many things that can be done but there's always going to be flaws in each aspect of it like the disclosure thing okay well if you don't want to talk to them I'll talk to them for you and then things being missed that might be important to the patient but the providers don't know is that important to them but they might seem not important and therefore the patient feels like they aren't important because this thing wasn't Talked about and labeled important, so I, communication is so <laughs> is so much bigger. You know, like I I started this podcast thinking that I was just like going to give people with herpes something that they can. Feel supported in so they don't want to kill themselves and like now i'm seeing the reason that a person with herpes might want to kill themselves really goes back to these collective interviews that i'm having with people about how stigma is prevalent in the healthcare and field and i'm learning about how communication in healthcare is really std prevention and all we see when it comes to std prevention is wear a condom or wait till you're married And that's not realistic. And even the word prevention is not realistic because we're talking about uh, minimizing our possibilities for transmission because we can't fully prevent anything from happening. What we can do is just do what we can in order to minimize the risk. And I think that The communication component is what keeps coming up. The mental health component keeps coming up. And that's what I'm seeing in the podcast. That's what I'm seeing in these conversations with healthcare providers. And I think that there's a space for this to be integrated in the STD prevention efforts.
1: Um, So I think with everything you just said,
0: another missing
1: piece that ties into it all is changing the public narrative whether it be what we get through social media or what's depicted in, you know, movies and TV shows and things like that, these diagnoses are not often what people think they are. And that creates the bias, um, you know, not necessarily the just the outright, rude, over-the-top type of, of bias and discrimination, but just the implicit bias where, you know, we tend to try to group things together and make logical sense of it. You know, if a person has an STI, maybe this, or maybe their behavior is that. And even though that's not always true, that's just kind of the brain's natural way to make sense of things. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that, except for the fact that we don't often enough stop and review Why do we think what we think? Where did we learn that? And, you know, how is that affecting people? And how am I putting my bias out there for other people to believe and hold this fact as well, which is just perpetuating the cycle? And I really think that if we can maybe start there and begin to address that, that will make the conversations easier, especially when you're jumping from doctor to doctor, that'll take some of the uncomfortability out of having particular conversations on both ends, whether it's the patient and they are not internalizing what somebody may perceive them to be. And they can just be an open and blank slate. And then, you know, people can have that conversation just flat out instead of trying to navigate all of these emotions and opinions that, can just be, you know, completely wild and come from anywhere and anybody's beliefs. No, no two people hold all of the same beliefs. So there's no real way to navigate that. We just have to get rid of it.
0: Mm-hmm. All right. So <clears throat> what I have here is we're. A- I'm, I'm going to just kind of read through my notes real quick. So in case I lose this, I got it in audio too. But um, what we're talking about here is just a wide range of attitudes uh, that healthcare providers can have um, even in the pharmacy Or in the uh, doctor's office um, understanding that like those medications that someone might be prescribing are also for other things and not to make assumptions which we brought up stigma here uh, a few times and it's just like stereotypes of if then like if they're taking this medication then they got this STI and they probably got it because of dot 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 and when we look at our um, we you gave the example of like uh counseling and looking at the awarenesses, of uh, the awareness of barriers or limits and restrictions that a person may have uh for being able to take their own medication why did i what did i write here convos for awareness of self Uh, self-limiting barriers. Wow, I wrote that wrong. Um, Looking at the LGBT (laughs) community too, like asking something about orientation may get you to the point where let's say there is someone who is a woman who has sex with women. Why would we bring up conversations about birth control? I mean, hormones, yes, but um, pregnancy topics, like the way to address that would be something would be significantly different than you would someone if you were to make an assumption and be right about a heterosexual person or couple um we're talking about that pharmacies only have access to meds like there may be a little bit um, there might be um outliers to that situation but typically there only access, the only information they have access to is what medication it is that you're gonna be taking. So looking at bias, it can be assumed, oh, if they're taking this and I see what they look like, oh, they gotta have dot, 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 right? Um, we spoke a little bit about healthcare as a business and then that the dispelling the, the of the conspiracy about herpes not being cured because um, it's more expensive or it's more profitable to cheat, um, we can cure things, but we can still be able to get it again. So we talked a little bit about self accountability and responsibility there. And then the mental health component, speaking about how the environment of the healthcare facility is something that often goes under the radar, influencing whether or not people come back, not just the quality of care that they receive. So self-reflection and leadership is gonna be critical in retaining clients or patients. And this is all a team effort because it takes so much for a person to maybe even work up the courage to go to a new healthcare provider. And uh, I think that one of the ways that we can alleviate that discomfort or the need for the courage to re potentially re-traumatize themselves or expose themselves to the potential re-traumatization of interacting with and communicating with another healthcare provider is to change the public narrative, like even in media, let people expect to be working with the team. Uh, and yeah, we spoke a little bit about how, or I already said that about the stigma stereotype being if then, but yeah, like the the team component is something that I put a star by here because it's been coming up a few different times. And uh, I think that communicating, uh, self-reflecting, integrating some communication skills, and then just setting the standard of, hey, it's not just me, this is gonna be a team effort. This is where we can get to a place where STD prevention can be more effective by integrating the communication skills that are coming out of this conversation. Now, the next step is gonna be figuring out exactly what that looks like and how, but, Thank you for your time for helping me get to a point of seeing what's important and I can have more to draw from as I try and put this together. So I thank you very much for being here. Is there anything else that you would like to leave us with? I know you got to head out to the airport here soon. So uh, just let me know what you got for me.
1: Honestly, I'm just honored to be a part of the conversation because this is something that's important to me. Um, not even just in sexual health, but in all of those um, types of health that make people feel isolated or misunderstood. um, That's really just a passion of mine is to figure out what the barriers are and how we can start to break those down just as healthcare teams and as a complete society. So, you know, anytime, if you, if you ever need me, uh, for personal conversations or to come back on or whatever. I'm, I'm here for it, all of it. And I'm so thankful that we have people like you who will actually put in the work to, to make these changes and to bring the awareness. So I'm just honored to be a part of it.
0: I appreciate that. Thank you so much. And, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll be in touch and, uh, you'll see the developments and how this plays out I don't really know what's going to happen with it but hopefully the right person hears it and wants to get involved and they're like you know what I know someone who can fund something like this because I mean I got plans it's just like I can't do it on my own and so it's just going to take for the right person at the right time to hear this and then be like oh here's who we're going to work with and then
1: tease out
0: what the plan will look like
1: I have some good ideas for that, too. Some people I kind of want to plug you in with who are working in the same area. So we'll have that conversation, too. All
0: right. Cool. You in St. Louis? Yep. All right. Because I'm moving back in two weeks like two well not two oh, weeks, not two weeks from the date that this will be released because uh this this won't be released anytime soon but uh yeah okay. i'll be back in st louis soon well wait, here we can talk i'll wrap this up that concludes this episode of something positive for positive people please like rate review share subscribe to and donate to this organization uh we stopped paying for people to get therapy we still do make the referrals we connect people to the resources that they need but overall What people have expressed is that the podcast has helped and the conversations with me directly have helped them the most. So I wanna make it a point to be more present, be more active in the ways that are serving the people that we're working with and making an impact directly. Uh, So I'm figuring out how we're going to begin integrating what we've learned over the last since 2017 uh from the lived experiences of people who tested positive for stis and how we can integrate this into std prevention so that we can minimize these constant growing std rates and we can minimize the ideation of suicide after a diagnosis and that's really what this work is and that's what your donation support so thank you very much for having stuck around for being involved you can visit www.spfpp.org in order to stay up with what's going on and get more of a full understanding of what we got happening and i'm always accessible so you can contact me at courtney at spfpp.org till next time thank you